from the 50 midweek edition. Hello, everybody, and welcome in on back to the midweek review presented by Book It Sports. I am your host, Zach Sook. I got Nick Tolley with me virtually in studio, right, Nick? We haven't actually done sure. one of these things together since the season ended, I don't believe. But uh, we've been talking football, man, and we've been getting into the weeds and talking free agency. We're talking trades. We're talking drafts. And the football gods blessed us with a great storyline heading into uh, this week. And pleasantly, Nick, it didn't happen until this week. I mean, we recorded early last week. And, and, and you knew, you, you thought that something would go down that we wouldn't be able to cover then on the midweek review last week, but the football gods blessed us. They, they were with us, uh, uh, and the, the Sam Darnold trade didn't happen until Monday. So we are presented by Book It Sports. Go on over to the Book It Sports app, download the app. Uh, they had a bunch of cool March Madness stuff on there. And now what you got to do this weekend is bet the Masters, baby. Do you want to hear a couple of my Masters plays, Tolly? For sure. I like so I I I have not really ever gambled on golf before. Um, I know it's like I've heard it's the second coolest thing to gamble on if you're not gambling football. Now March Madness is a s- special thing, but you would not gamble like normal regular season college basketball or NBA if you're a non degenerate normal person like myself that doesn't watch those games. Right. But I've heard that golf is really fun to bet on, and so I got a couple of guys that I think have decent value that I like to maybe go top 10 or win this weekend. And first up is my boy, JT. I like okay. JT. He's never won the masters before. So that's something I kind of look for. Like he, the, the, I don't, I don't believe since like Gary player was playing that anybody's won it twice in a row. I think tiger may have won it twice in a row, like in the early odds, but outside of that, nobody ever wins it twice in a row. So I'm not, I'm not on Dustin Johnson this time. I'm on JT. I kind of like Jason Day a little bit. I actually don't really like Jordan Speed that much, although he just won last weekend. Another fancy play is Billy Horschel. I don't like that one. I'm on JT, and I like Rory McIlroy. Rory McIlroy is like 15 to 1 odds to win this year, and it's the lowest odds he's been in a Masters, I think, in his career. Like He's usually like 5, 6, 7 to 1. This year, he's like 15 to 1. So he's not playing that well, but... Yeah. You get the you get a great value with Rory, and you just take take t- take uh the uh the Irish the Irish hammer man and uh, <laughs> just lock it down. Is he from Ireland or Scotland? I think he's from Ireland. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. There's one guy that I, mean, I, I just had wrist sounding like super <laughs> yeah. uncultured if I said he was from the wrong country, but I'm pretty sure he, he's from Ireland. I like I like uh, Bryson DeChambeau too. If you want to like sprinkle, you got sprinkle a couple guys. I like. Probably JT the most, then Bryson, and then I like the value of Rory. So those what are my about, three horses. What about Xander? Shoffley? Shoffley's yeah. a good one, man. That's my he, guy. He, I believe, what, did he finish second last year? I think so, or he was up there. Or at Cameron least Smith, the, the Australian guy, was up there at the end. I know Shoffley did really well. You know another like deep sleeper while we're doing Masters picks? What about Abraham Answer? I've never heard that name before. Yeah, that's right, because it was his first Masters last year, but he actually did pretty well, and he's a decent golfer. And, you know, if you if you want to have fun, just bet Phil. Yeah. If you, you want to have fun, just bet Phil, the, the no. lucky lefty. I always just root for Xander. He's a San Diego State alum. He's oh, there plus, you go. Well, he's then you plus 2,500 for this year, so pretty good value there, too. I also like, I, I don't know if he's, how well he's going to do at Augusta, but uh, I kind of, I just as a golfer, I really like uh, Colin Morikawa, who won, yeah. uh, 
who won what did he win the u.s open last year yeah i believe it was the open so yeah i, th- I think he's a cool guy really like interesting story when you uh read up on him so he, he's kind of cool but uh we are also pre- presented by aces wild head on over to 208 north main street in columbia illinois to check out aces wild they got dart boards they got beers they got tvs great place to to hang out after work on the weekends um to just to just de-stress and uh decompress take some time off so uh head on over to aces wild that's 208 north main street in columbia illinois just over the mississippi tolly <laughs> so let's get to our first story sam darnold was dealt from the new york jets to the carolina panthers for i believe a fourth and a sixth round pick it is uh, a sixth rounder this year a second rounder next year and a fourth rounder next year. Okay. So they went two. they went two, four, six. Obviously the big haul was that second rounder because the other two were day three picks. Now, if that fourth goes up to a third, I think I view this deal a little differently. I thought that the jets who are stockpiling picks, I, I didn't feel like they got very much back for Sam Darnold. And we've talked about this. His values down right now. He hasn't played very well. But he was still a top three pick in the draft. And people forget that, you know, he was rated above Baker Mayfield on a lot of people's boards. And Baker Mayfield just happened to go number one overall to the Browns. But Sam Darnold was thought of as a premier quarterback prospect. And so for them to just get a a second, a fourth, and a sixth back just three years later after he started all that time, is is I gotta think not ideal if you're the Jets. Now they do the, the second round pick, and we'll get into this. We're gonna talk about draft value a little bit later on in this podcast because I thought it, as we transition more into draft talk and talking about the draft, it, it's something that's very important and I think goes overlooked. It's not just about buying players, but where do you buy them at? What's the cost? Could you have gotten that player later? So. Second round picks, as far as value goes, are are really pretty valuable. The second and third round picks, to me, are the most valuable bang for your buck in the draft because they don't cost as much to to, to obtain, and you still get these Pro Bowl-level players. Like They're not all Pro Bowlers, right, or else they'd be first-rounders, but that's where you find A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel, all these guys' second-round picks – and you can find a lot of starters like Fred Warner, I believe is a third round pick of the, of the 49ers. These guys are in there every year. Um, and, and there's a ton of value there. So the jets do get a good pick back and getting the second rounder from the Panthers. Now, Tali, did you say that was this year's second rounder that the no, Panthers are giving up? It's next year's second rounder. So it's next year's so second rounder. I think only you still pick- have to feel pretty good about the value of that. Just based on on the Saints, I know the division's a little bit more wide open now that Drew Brees is gone, but the Falcons aren't going anywhere quickly, and the Bucks are going to be Super Bowl favorites. So you got to think that that second round pick is going to be like the 16th pick at worst case in the second round. They also can get that pick back easily this year because now if they want, they can trade back from their first round spot or they're early in the second round. You can trade back there too. And you can basically recoup that pick. Yeah, and 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 it's 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 something interesting to to think that uh, it basically it's you can, you don't have to necessarily view it as a pick to where I got to pick a player here. You can right. use it as ammo to like you're saying 
work the draft board to get the guy that you want. So both of these teams, it's interesting. You know, you get a tr- quarterback trade between two rebuilding teams who are doing it completely different ways. Yeah. Like you have the Jets who want to draft a new quarterback. They're stockpiling all these picks. They just fired the coach. And then you got the Panthers who are also rebuilding, but feel like they have some talent on the roster already. And they're a little bit more impatient, which is interesting considering you had the Super Bowl champs in your division. You have, have the Saints in the division, which have been very strong Super Bowl contenders for the last five years now. So I, I, I think let's tackle this from the side of the Panthers first. And then we'll tackle it from the Jets side because I think that this is a move of impatience somewhat for the Panthers. Um, I, I know that the owner, Dave Tepper, paid like, what, $2 billion cash for the organization. Guy wants to win. He's not in, in to be impatient. It's why he brought over Matt Rule and Joe Brady and paid those guys big bucks to, to, to coach the franchise. He wants to get a quarterback now. What is interesting to me and why I think it's impatient is I think that you could have used assets to get somebody better to trade into that fourth spot, to trade into the third spot before San Francisco did make a better offer than they did to get up into that spot to draft a quarterback, or you may have even been able to draft a quarterback at eight. Uh, So they clearly felt like that risk was not worth the reward and, or they didn't like Trey Lance or who they thought was going to be available at eight. They clearly didn't like their options or weren't comfortable with that. And Dave Tepper, I think absolutely was done with Teddy Bridgewater. They don't want to watch him play quarterback anymore. I actually heard a little nugget today that kind of explained why they went with Darnold instead of doing that. And what's that? Matt Matt rule interviewed for the jets job when they hired Adam Gase and one of the first people he talked to was Sam Darnold. And I guess during that like little interview process, Darnold didn't really ask him about scheme. He was asking him what kind of culture he wanted to build and kind of those more tangible things than scheme. And so Matt rule actually fell in love with him about that and liked that he was more worried about how he was going to have that group together and winning together than just the plays. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. I didn't, I didn't know that, but I did think when it went down that when the trade went down and I saw it, that it kind of makes sense that Sam Darnold, a young guy that was a heralded college prospect goes to a head coach that was coaching in the college game when he was playing. I mean, it, it makes, it makes some sense that, you know, Matt rule would think, okay, like I feel like I can mold this guy and get the most out of him to to rebrand his career and get ourselves a quarterback and get us moving in the right direction as a franchise where other teams I don't think were. Uh, I, I think that Sam Darnold, I mean, I've, I've long been kind of a Darnold guy uh, and it hasn't really worked out. I kind of jumped off of his train. I don't think, it, I've jumped off his train officially from the sense of I don't think he can be this top five quarterback, but I think he can be a franchise level starter like a Kirk think Cousins. Do you think he got ruined because of not having any offensive line or weapons? I think that absolutely forms some bad habits for you. I think uh, Matt Stafford's a pretty good example of that. Like further in the future, he's played on so many bad Lions teams that he's obviously developed some bad habits in terms of scrambling, holding on to the ball, throwing into traffic because he's just playing with a stacked deck against him on the defensive side so many times that obviously now he's not he's not as good of a quarterback as say like an Aaron Rodgers. But I think if you maybe put Matt Stafford on say the Seattle Seahawks from the beginning of his career, I think that he'd be viewed in a greater light than he is now because he wouldn't have developed those bad habits playing behind a bad offensive line. And so 
basically my long answer is yes. I do think that there's some of that. And I think that he's young enough to where they can work some of that out. I think some of it's always going to be there though. And that's why we talked about this, you know, when we did our deep dive on draft quarterbacks, where you land is so much more important than virtually anything else. There's very rare players that would have succeeded no matter what. Like Mahomes is gonna was gonna be a stud no matter what. But would he have been the best quarterback in the league if he didn't go to Andy Reid and the Chiefs? Would he have won a Super Bowl already if he didn't go to Andy Reid and the Chiefs? Maybe we would have just thought of him in the light that we think of Justin Herbert now. Wow, flashy player makes a lot of throws, pretty good. But when you start winning as big as he has, that's what's changed his image and have us view him in the light that Patrick Mahomes is viewed. And obviously Stafford and Darnold have not had that opportunity at all. And I, and I think that it's really honestly easy to explain away Sam Darnold's, you know, lack of success in New York. It has been a total dumpster fire. He was drafted by Mike McCagnin, who is a complete laughing stock as a GM. He was coached by Adam Gase, who is now a, a laughing stock as a coach. He will never get another head coaching job in his NFL career. No. It's it's not possible. I, I And I know Peyton Manning has spoke really highly of him. Good coordinator. Probably knows X's and O's better than anybody. But as a head coach, he was terrible. And Twice. I don't think he did, he did Sam Darnold any service at all. And, and, and you know, Tali, I remember in one of our offseason pods, uh, at the start of the offseason, we, we, I mentioned that Frank Gore was one of the least efficient running backs in the league. Yards expected average per carry, right? It's, this, right. it's, a, it's a kind of an advanced stat. Basically, to dumb it down for, for our listeners, it's based on the play, what's the expected yards gained? If you have a wide open hole and gain 20 yards, you're not going to get credit for that because we expect you to gain 20 yards. If you break a tackle and run 50 yards for a touchdown, that's where you get the credit, right? That's kind of what the, the advanced stat breaks down. Well, Frank Gore's expected yards per carry was minus 100, minus 100 in change. He was a negative football field for the year for the Jets in the backfield. Imagine that. If you're Sam Darnold and how bad the the line was, but not just the running backs. Like you have zero run game, zero protection. They let Robbie Anderson walk in free agency. He didn't even have him this year. It was a really uphill battle for Sam Darnold and, and and a defense that didn't play very well. They had Dr. Heat as the defensive coordinator. I mean, I don't think you can draw up a worse situation for a young quarterback to go to. So I'm interested to see how it pans out. I think he'll absolutely have some degree of success. Like like Carson Wentz going to Indy, probably a lesser degree to Carson Wentz to Indy because that's like a playoff-ready, like Super Bowl-ready roster, whereas the the Panthers are not that. But he's he's going to walk in there, and it'll be the best team he's ever played on. It could be close to what Tannehill did going to Tennessee. He left Adam Gase, went to Tennessee, and he was a completely different quarterback. I think that's a good comp. And and how do we view Ryan Tannehill? We don't view him as like a top five, top ten quarterback, but we view him as a franchise quarterback, an effective quarterback that you can win with if the roster's solid. And I think that's all Carolina wants because I think they deep down believe we got a pretty good team. We got Christian McCaffrey on the team. We got got some players on defense. We got Jeremy Chin at a Southern Illinois Carbondale. You guys are a freaking badass. Yeah. We, we got some players on the roster. So if we get Sam into the building and keep building around him, we're going to be a pretty good team. And you think about it from the perspective of 
you'd like to have an elite quarterback. I think that's like one of the biggest prerequisites to winning the Super Bowl in the NFL. But if you're the Carolina Panthers and you're drafting eight and you feel like you're not going to get an elite quarterback, you have to do the next best thing, which is in this case, Sam Darnold, who does have potential and upside. He was viewed as a prospect that could achieve that. Now, whether or not you can get that out of him anymore, I'm skeptical of it, but clearly Matt Rule believes in him, and clearly the Panthers organization thinks that they can win a Super Bowl with him, or they wouldn't have done the move. So I think, too, the fact that they, they pick up his fifth-year option, they're going to get two years with him at least. They'd probably, they're probably they probably going to extend him after this season, depending on how it goes, right. because even if he plays well, Tali, he's not going to get market value. He's not going to get DAC money. No. There's no way. So, like, I mean, I, I suppose if he like is an MVP candidate and the Panthers win – 11, 12 games, then yeah, unfortunately he's back to market value and you're probably feeling pretty uncomfortable if you're the Panthers, which is the downside of the trade. But if I'm Carolina, I feel like I get a young quarterback that has upside that I can pair with a coach and an offensive coordinator and Joe Brady, mind you, who took Joe Burrow, who transferred out of Ohio State, a reclamation project in college and turned him into a Heisman and historically the best single season passer in NCAA history. So I, I I like my chances if I'm Dave Tepper with Sam Darnold, and and I think for Sam Darnold too, it's 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 got to be a good fresh start. It's got to be a good feeling. Did like you see Wentz, his you're video? Leaving terrible situations, and you got to just be feeling a, a million pounds off your shoulder. Like you're going somewhere you're wanted. You're in a better situation with better people who are better at their jobs and that want you. Ultimately, like they gave up something for Sam Darnold. Like that's got to make you feel good. There is a video put out of him. I'm guessing he was walking into his house and a bunch of friends and family were there and they were cheering. He was pumping up his arms. He was so happy to be out in New York. I And I don't blame him. I yeah. don't blame him at all. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with New York, but the expectations are just different. And I think that it's really, really tough, especially when you're a highly drafted quarterback. The Jets have taken more quarterbacks in the NFL draft in the last, I think, 10 to 15 years than anybody. They have taken a ton of them, and they've swung and missed every single one. And so, at a certain point, it's not the pros—it's not the prospect that's the problem. It's the ownership and the front office and the coaching staff that's the problem. So we'll see if they can get it right. They're going to take another swing this year. Uh, I, I like you know Robert Sala, but the first two years of his San Francisco 49ers tenure weren't great. I, me I remember being on Twitter and 49ers fans calling for his head and his job. They wanted him fired as the defensive coordinator. Then the patience paid off. They made the Super Bowl. His defenses were electric. He's got Michael Floor to call the play, so you're feeling pretty good about that. But wonder if wonder if they do draft a good quarterback and he he goes off and has a good rookie season. Well, guess who's getting hired as a head coach next year? <laughs> Michael Floor, whose older brother is killing it in Green Bay. You, you know, like I think it's going to be. It's it's far from a sure thing that New York, who's hitting hitting the reset button, the and you know Joe Douglas, I am a believer in him. He said that they wanted to reset the reset the button financially. They didn't want to you know like wonder if Sam Darnold has a good year in year four. Then we got to pay him. They were in a bind financially yeah. with how bad the roster is, and I think that actually they're right. I would have done the same thing. I would have traded Darnold because I feel like the top four guys are better, which is why I question the Panthers. Like, really? Like, I've, I'd kind of rather trade up to get trade Lance than, than try Sam Darnold. But I do get it from the Panthers' perspective. From the Jets' perspective, you just got to nail this pick. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
you uh, got a, got a little bit of a return back. You got that second round pick. Got a couple of day three picks. Maybe, maybe you get a starter or two, a couple special teamers. Maybe you can grab somebody that's worth a shit in, in the fourth and the sixth round or use that to trade up and get a guy. But you've got to nail Zach Wilson, it looks like, at two. He better be right. He better be the answer because if he's not, they're going to be firing Joe Douglas in a couple of years and they're going to be firing Robert Sala and Michael Ford too. So uh, it just, it all hinges on that. And there's going to be, again, like Sam Darnold, a lot of pressure on Zach Wilson to go into that New York market with a shitty roster and try to succeed. Yeah. Uh, So the Panthers gave Teddy Bridgewater permission to talk to teams to kind of try to figure out his own way out. Do you think he does get traded? You know, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's anywhere to start. I can't imagine that. Um, I saw some rumors about Denver maybe being interested for a him and Drew Locke competition. <sighs> that's not good. <laughs> not good for Drew. Not good for Denver, if that's the case. Um, no, I, I can't imagine that. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's something like that where he could go com- compete for a job at a camp or something, but he's not going to be the starter anywhere else. Um, I don't I don't think it's wrong for him to want out of there. And if I'm the Panthers, I would prefer him work out a deal because then I can get some value back because he is, you know, Great backup, great guy. I just, I, I don't, I can't have him as my starting QB, um, not in 2021. So let's talk about draft value. I think we hit hit the Darnold trade pretty good. Yeah. And the the main thing I want to talk about the draft value. I want to talk about positional value. I wanted to talk about kind of how it's viewed, how I kind of think, and how I think a lot of these NFL franchises think. And it's why you're going to see three quarterbacks go in, in the first three picks. For the first time since uh, Achilles Smith, what was it, Tolly? It was Achilles Smith, Tim Couch, and Donovan McNabb, I believe, were the top three picks, and they were the first three picks in, in the NFL sure. draft. So uh, it'll be the first time since that that that's happening, and it is three, one three of them worked happening. out real well. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, goes to show how tough it is to draft quarterbacks. But I wanted to talk kind of about positional value and how I view the draft. And I I thought of this because we talked a little bit about the Mac Jones hype to San Francisco at three and how I thought that was stupid. And it's not necessarily because I don't think Mac Jones has a, has a fighting chance at success in the NFL. Cause I do, I don't think he's a, th- a first round pick. I view him as more of a third round pick to be completely honest with you. Like he's like a CJ Beathard type, like maybe like a Kirk cousins high end, but uh, that's the, the level of prospect. I think that he is. I don't view him certainly not as a top 10 pick and not even as a first round pick like Chris Sims does and some of these other guys. And I got to tell you this, maybe the 49ers shock us and and take Mac Jones. And if, and if they do, I think it's one of the most outrageously stupid things I have seen since I've started paying close attention to the NFL. Every mock draft right now has him going three. Now mine won't mine (laughs) will not. Uh, I, I don't think that the 49ers are that stupid. I, I don't think that they would do that. And it's because of this positional value that I'm talking about. The 49ers have demonstrated positional value throughout the tenure of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan's career there. They traded out of the two spot to get all those picks from Chicago because they knew they could still get Solomon Thomas at three. They worked down the draft board to get Debo Samuel and then worked back down the draft board last year to get Brandon Ayuk. These are guys that they're not dummies, you know, like, I, I don't think that Kyle Shanahan would do that. Uh, now, I don't know Kyle Shanahan personally, but 
the the smoke at this point, Tali, it's just a little too strong. It's too out there to believe that the 49ers are going to actually do it and pull the trigger and take Mac Jones. I just don't believe that they're going to do it. I, I think that they're going to take Justin Fields. They skipped this- Fields Pro Day, though. Yeah. Well, watch Mac well, Jones. If you were the 49ers and you liked Justin Fields, what would you do? <laughs> do, do you honestly think that, that that's one thing that I, I always find hilarious in these drafts? Like as if these teams are making their minds are still deciding whether or not to take a take a quarterback based on his fucking pro day or not. That is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. They have their minds made up. They, Which, they probably I, did that to mess with people. I don't think this is a Niners problem, but there's definitely teams that fall into the whole media narrative thing and like, Justin Fields went from being number two to, okay, he's going to be number three to he's falling way down these media boards. It's, and there's it's teams that buy into it instead of ignoring it and doing their own evaluations and grading guys and sticking to their grades. It's interesting because to me in the fall, I actually didn't like him as much as I like him now. I think like his off the field stuff is so great and he's such a good athlete. And, and, and I do think he showed enough in, in the fall as a passer like when you look at his stats, he was like 67% the first year, jumped up like around 70 the second year at Ohio State, threw like 60 some touchdowns. And that's man, like, that's pretty good numbers. I He's forget the second overall the- recruit behind Trevor Lawrence, too. So, yeah. like, how often is it that you get the second overall high school recruit one and two? And it basically turns out that way. That's like NBA stuff typically. You don't see that in the NFL. And I just feel like Justin Fields is getting nitpicked a little bit. And I kind of had him farther down the draft board. Uh, again, you'll see my, uh, I'll release all my rankings and stuff, and we're going to do my mock draft probably here pretty soon. Uh, but I had Trey Lance at two, actually, after uh, Trevor Lawrence. I and I had Zach what? Wilson three and Justin Fields four. And I've basically totally reversed it. Like, I think Justin Fields is probably the second best quarterback in the draft. I forget what the test is called, but there's some tests they're doing now where they basically show a play, and then the quarterback has, they it goes away after however much time and then they have to go back through and redo the whole play justin Fields scored the highest out of any prospect with a 130 most of the other quarterbacks like josh allen patrick mahomes these other really good quarterbacks are around a 108 and 100 is an average that's that's interesting to me because when i watch him play i think he's like a one read quarterback so that's very interesting to me like that to me tells me that the tools are there and or, he just had he just needs experience and to unlock it. I mean, he might have one of those picture memories where he just sees it and it stays there and he can recall stuff quickly and maybe that doesn't translate to the field. But yeah, it well, well it doesn't for everybody. Thing. It doesn't for everybody. I mean, I think Trubisky is a good example of that. Like he's a hard worker. He was heralded for his accuracy in college. Yeah. And, and and when he got to the pros, it just didn't translate because he he was thinking about too many things. He couldn't handle processing the offense. He couldn't handle everything that he had to do, and it overloaded him to the point where then it made him look like shit. It's like to relate it back to golf and like a master's analogy, Tally. Like if you're thinking like, all right, I got to hit this ball left. I got to make sure I contact it at the bottom. I got to make sure to keep my elbow pinned to my hip and the backswing. Then I got to make sure I don't take the backswing back too fast, but I still got to make sure I don't decel and hit the ball fast. Like you're thinking about all this shit and and the end result is going to be probably a bad, bad stroke. Like that's, that's, I think what happens to some of these guys where it's like, you don't truly know until you draft the player. Uh, or until you talk to him. And that's why 
I think the off the field, the mental stuff, like how you meet the per- meet with the person, how are they like in terms of uh, like what kind of guy they are? are they super hard worker? Are they kind of lazy? Can they put things into into? Can they take things from the film room and execute them out on the field? Can they go through a walkthrough in a practice and take things from the install and not miss a beat? Or are they like huge learning curve guys? You know, like all that stuff is important, I think, when evaluating quarterbacks. So it is it is interesting for for Justin Fields. But um, back back to I guess the 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 value conversation. I just don't believe that the 49ers are that adept or arrogant to trade all those assets to take Mac Jones at three when they damn well know they could get him at 12 where they're drafting or at least trade up a little bit. You could have made that trade on draft night if you felt like somebody was going to come up. These guys are all tied together. They have much more inkling as to what teams are going to take than you and I do. So I, I actually I think that they've actually overplayed their hand, to be honest with you. Chris Sims was Kyle Shanahan's roommate who is yeah. pushing all this nonsense. And, and if I wanted to take Justin Fields, you know what I'd do if I was the 49ers? I'd tell everyone how much I love Mac Jones so that everybody tries to trade up to get Mac Jones or to, to, to mess with people's minds because we've seen it in the past. It's like such smoke and, smoke and mirrors. And people are very secretive at this time. There's a lot of lying that goes on. Didn't we just hear like a week ago that Jimmy's our guy and we're not even necessarily going to take a quarterback here? It's all bullshit. It, it, it is every year. And so I just don't think that the 49ers are, 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 are stupid enough to take Mac Jones at three when they know they don't have to do that and give up what they gave up to get to that third pick. I think they like Justin Fields, and I think that they're going to take him. Kyle Shanahan also did make a comment in the media, which, like, again, grain of salt, like I don't really trust people, whatever anybody's saying right now, but he did say if when push comes to shove, you want the bigger, faster athlete. Like if you have them graded the same, you want the better athletic prospect. Like you want the one with the more tools and that sure as fuck ain't Mac Jones. <laughs> so uh, kind of interesting there, but uh, I, I want to talk more about, you know, the value of picks, the value of positions uh, running back has been a hot one. Like Kyle Pitts to me is the, is the, is the best prospect in this upcoming NFL draft. And he's a tight end. Now he's obviously not going to go number one because quarterbacks are, are more highly valued but uh, my positional value chart kind of goes like this. It's obviously quarterback, but then to me, it's it's offensive line and then edge rusher defensive line because that is where you win titles. Uh, it's not by drafting these wide receivers in the top 10 because no. l- like we said, historically, you can find these guys in the second, third round. You can find Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel in the second round. And first round receivers have actually not had a great go the the last several years. Some of them are great. And obviously those, those end up being the good picks, but we had all these receivers drafted last year. Henry Ruggs was the first one off the board taken by the Raiders and was one of, if not the least productive rookie wide receiver uh, of, of that group. Uh, You had Jerry Judy, who was semi-productive, had some quarterback issues, and had some injuries to the offense. You had C.D. Lamb for the Cowboys, who was the de facto third pass-catching option of the offense. And then you had Jalen Rager, who really wasn't productive at all. He was getting outplayed by Travis Fulgham. And then you had the most productive wide receiver of the bunch, Justin Jefferson, who was selected fifth amongst those guys. Value in the draft 
is based on what you what positions and what you can get later on. If you're drafting fifth or sixth overall, like if you're the Bengals, for example, or if you're the Eagles, you need an offensive line. You need to protect Jalen Hurts. You need Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater, and then come back and get the wideout. We fall in love with the skill guys because that's who we know. That's who we watch in college football on Saturday. But taking Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater is inherently much better for your team than taking Jamar Chase because you can still get a good wide receiver in the second round. You might be able to land Kadarius Tony in the second round. Like the Bengals last year, they got Joe Burrow, and then they turned around and drafted T. Higgins in the second round. It's the reason running backs have no value in the first round anymore because Dalvin Cook was taken in the second round. Kareem Hunt was taken in the third round. These guys that have been drafted high, Leonard Fournette, Zeke Elliott, have not been as productive. Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley have been the lone exceptions, but they've both torn ACLs and missed entire seasons since, since coming into the league. No. And so when you're drafting, drafting players and buying players, which is what this is, it is a marketplace to build your team. You want to go best player available, but you do have to think of positional value when drafting. It is the reason Trevor Lawrence is going to go one. Zach Wilson is going to go two, and Justin Fields, Trey Lance or Mac Jones is going to go three. And then probably a fourth quarterback is going to go to the Falcons after that because quarterbacks are the most important in the draft. And it's the reason we see all these offensive tackles go because historically, do you know many second or third round offensive tackles that just kick ass? I don't. Most of them are like top 10 picks. Quentin Nelson kicks ass. Zach Martin kicks ass. Tyron Smith kicks ass. You don't see these like day two and day three picks turn into top five tackles in the NFL. I feel but like you it's... do see these other positions. You can get quality pro bowl level starters at these positions later on. Those tackles are either early first round picks or they're undrafted guys that came out of nowhere. Exactly. Like then yeah. there's just nothing in the middle. There really isn't. I mean, I, I think you see a lot of interior offensive linemen that are very quality. You see those guys yeah. go in the second and third rounds. But as far as tackles go, like, like Laramie Tunsil, first round pick, Jack Conklin, First round pick, uh, Taylor Lewan, first round pick. Like these guys are, these guys are all highly touted prospects and players and they go fast because as the late, great Ted Thompson, the former GM of the Packers said about edge rushers and tackles, the good Lord only made so many of them. So you got to get them while you can, you got to smoke them while you got them because you can't find Von Miller in, in, in the third round, but I can find Kareem Hunt in the third round. I can't find Devontae Adams in, in, in the second round. Wasn't Kamara in the fourth round? Alvin Kamara was a second round pick, I oh, believe. Second. second or a third round pick. He was a day two pick. But but to, to your point, Tyler, like not a day one guy. And yeah. these guys are the best at their position. Devontae Adams, Alvin Kamara, and uh, Dalvin, Dalvin Cook. These guys are the, the top of their class, whereas... You don't need to. You don't need to take DeAndre Swift early, right? I think he, right. to the Lions' credit, was a second-round pick. But like, unless you're picking 32, like the Chiefs picked Clyde Edwards-Helaire, like that's a luxury pick. They can afford to do that. But for the most part, like taking Zeke at four or five is fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, I, I defended Dave Gettleman for the Barkley pick at two. I still don't think that was a bad pick. I literally think he's the best running back prospect since Barry Sanders. There like, I think that's a little bit different. There wasn't much in that draft after him anyway right in terms of in terms of position players and 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 so i was more okay with that one but like like leonard fournette when you're the jags made no sense zeke elliott made little to no sense to me uh 
and and you see like Henry Ruggs, like that made no sense to the Raiders. Why didn't why not get a corner? Why not get why not get a a linebacker? Why not get a pass rusher? Like like you just traded away Khalil Mack. Like your defense fucking sucks, Gruden. <laughs> Like Henry Ruggs is really cool. He looks awesome in the underwear Olympics and he looks sweet catching bombs for the Crimson Tide in the fall. But is Derek Carr throwing those bombs to him? Is he running past Jalen Ramsey and these NFL secondary players? We, we, the evidence is in. No, he's not, not on a consistent basis. He's a gadget player. And, well, and like, you, and you could have drafted somebody like him in the yeah. second, third, or fourth round, and you didn't have to do that. And so that's where the, the, the conversation of positional value comes in knowing what you can get later on. If I can get 90 or 80% of Henry Ruggs in the third round, I'd rather take a tackle. I'd rather take a defensive interior player. How many defensive interior guys do you know that are killing it? That weren't first round picks, Aaron Donald and, uh, well, who's the, who's the kid from, uh, the Niners. Not Eric Armstead, but the other one, DeForest Buckner, now now on the Colts. Yeah, big time name, first round pick. Like you have the outliers, Geno Atkins, I think was a mid round pick, but they don't come around very often. Fletcher Cox goes high, Aaron Donald goes high. So and like you, you got to take the, those guys early. The quarterback's the most important, so you need to keep the quarterback up, which means offensive linemen. And right. on your defensive side, you got to knock the quarterback down, which means those edge and interior D line guys. Exactly, which is why you see so many of them go so early on in the draft, although their bust rates are are, are pretty high. It's because people reach for those positions. Yeah. And I am a best player available guy, but to a point, right? Like, it's got to right. make sense. I mean, yes, like there are situations in which, like, like, I was fine with the Saquon Barkley pick. I thought he was an unreal prospect. And people had problems with the Quentin Nelson pick. Why would you pick a guard that high? Uh, I don't know, because he's a future Hall of Famer. And it's obvious. Same with Saquon Barkley. Like, I I feel pretty confident saying this. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame, Tali. Like, don't you think? Unless he just, unless he literally pulls a Joe Theismann. Yeah. Right. Like, he's a a blue chipper, a, a, a clear Hall of Fame candidate as long as he plays into his mid 30s. So like yeah. you know I I I know like posi- we are talking positional value but to a point like don't overthink it just take the guy he's badass <laughs> like you cannot go wrong doing that so uh that's kind of my thought on NFL value I think that it goes you know quarterback then uh offensive line I actually think is more important than the edge rusher uh sure. then I think it's it's edge rusher and we saw in that in Super interior. Bowl. Yeah, yeah. So uh, then I think it's after that it's in defensive interior. Then after that, I'd probably have to go with corner and secondary players. Then after that, I would probably have to say linebackers. Then I would say receivers. And then I would say running backs. And then all the way at the bottom is tight ends. But uh, that's kind of how I think about it and how I think that it, it's the most cost-effective to build a team and the value they bring. And PFF has a ton of metrics, and they're actually, I think, I disagree with some of their philosophy and just how concrete it is. I just, I don't think you can wrap a blanket around everything and be like, Saquon Barkley at two, running back, never take a running back that high. Well, I mean, it's going to cause a lot of problems when you have to guard Saquon Barkley out of the backfield and try to stop him if they get a couple good linemen. I mean, that's going to be unstoppable. So, Again, I'm a best player available guy, but it does have to make sense, and you have to think about value. The draft is all about value, and that's what I wanted to uh, talk about here today. 
Um, now I kind of want to go through the prospects. We talked a lot about the draft. We talked a lot about, uh, you know, certain happenstances that could occur, certain ways that I think about think about things and how I think a lot of people in the league view the draft. Uh, so I wanted to go through the top five at each position group, and we'll start with the quarterbacks, how I have it ranked. Uh, and, and for me, number one, it, it's Trevor Lawrence, obviously, and these guys are going to go, I mean, I think top 10. For me, it's Trevor Lawrence, and then after that, like neck and neck. I, I honestly don't know how I'm going to have it yet, Tali. I, I go back and forth every day between Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I think they're right there. I think push comes to shove. You just go with like the 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 better prospect, the better better physical athlete that played at the bigger school in, in Ohio State that has more production. Uh, I think I'd have to lean Justin Fields, but right behind him is Trey Lance. I mean, I, I don't. He's getting nitpicked a lot through the draft process. I think he's going to be a really really good player. And then for me, fourth is Zach Wilson, uh, which may surprise some people. Uh, he's going to be the second overall pick in the draft. His comp is like he's very Aaron Rodgers like. I don't know how well his game's going to translate to the league. He is not the athlete that the other three are. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance, to me, are much, much better athletes than Zach Wilson is. Zach Wilson does have a cannon for an arm, though, as he demonstrated at his pro day. And he he is an electric player. Um, I, I think for him, it's going to be about taking that to the NFL level. Like, does, Is that going to translate from BYU? a small school to, to New York city, most likely uh, where there's going to be a immense pressure. I mean, it, it, he's going from Provo, Utah, where I think he, he basically grew up into the big apple where they have expectations. They just hired a new coach and GM. They think this kid's going to lead them to super bowls. So uh, I'm not basing it on the fact that he's going to the, to the jets, by the way, it's just more how, how I view him as a player. I don't know how much his how, how well his skill set's going to translate. I do still think he's a first-round pick, by the way. Uh, he's absolutely a first-round pick, an absolutely a first-round talent. I think you can win with Zach Wilson. I just think he's a little bit more location-dependent. I think you'd ideally like to have some, some, some offense around him to where he can learn and not do so many things in case some of that game does not translate. And then fifth for me is Mac Jones. Uh, I would take him in the third round, would not touch him in the first. We've already gone over that ad nauseum. Let's go to the running backs. For me, I actually like uh, Najee Harris as the best running back in the class. A lot of people like Travis Etienne. I, I'm just more of a Najee Harris guy. I've watched him th throughout his entire collegiate career, and uh, I just don't think, just don't overthink it. Like Najee Harris is is a beast. He's six foot one, 230 pounds. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I actually comped him to Matt Forte because of his ability to catch the football and run between the tackles at, at, at his size. I mean, you don't see many guys that are that dual threat. And if they are, they're more like Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara size, like underneath six foot. This guy's six foot one. So like the really the only, I think, recent memory we've seen of that in the NFL is uh, Matt Forte. So then I go to Travis Etienne, who I comp to Alvin Kamara. 5'10", 205 pounds, another dual threat guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield and do a lot of things. You can't go wrong with Travis Etienne. I'd probably take him in the second round. First round's a little too rich for me, but you're getting, again, a hugely productive player in college at Clemson who just absolutely tore defenses a new one, and he should be pretty good in the NFL. My third guy here is Javante Williams out of North Carolina, and I comped him to Nick Chubb. 
He looks a lot like Nick Chubb when you watch him. And if you go back and look, North Carolina has two backs. I think they have Michael Carter Jr. coming out as well. But uh, this Javante Williams cat, Tali, I'm telling you, man, like just go throw on his YouTube highlights for a couple minutes, and, and it's not it's not hard hard to see. He is a load, and he's just he's just a good runner. Uh, he's just a solid player. I, I get I get fired up watching watching guys like that. You're like, oh my god, like he's not going to be a name talked about very often. But I guarantee you, he's going to make some plays uh, in the NFL. Again, we'll have to see where he goes. Like it, sometimes I think it's hard for these backs if you're not a first round pick to to break in to the to the starting uh, rotation. And he'll probably be part of a committee now. So it's like you you get less chances for these running backs to shine and I think truly reach their their top value. But uh, he, he's a good one, man. He is a good one. I at number four. This this is subject to change because I haven't totally finalized it. I like I like Jarrett Patterson out of the University of Buffalo. Uh, you go look up his numbers. I remember the day I discovered him was not in 2020, but in 2019 at their bowl game. I it was like New Year's Day or a couple days before New Year's, and uh, Buffalo was playing. Maybe this was a late conference game against Bowling Green. And this guy, Jarrett, Jarrett Patterson had, I think five touchdowns and three or 400 yards on the ground. And I was like, good God, this guy is pretty good. I was like, is he just having an unreal game? So then I go look at his stats. He's been torching people his entire college career. He's an absolute one game this year. He, he might've had six or seven in the bowling green game. I think he did have an unreal amount. So, uh, I think it was against Bowling Green too. I think he upped his performance from the game that I did in 19 when they played him in 2020. I kind of want to go back and look it up, but regardless, just put video game numbers up at, at Buffalo. I, I don't think he's like the, the greatest athlete in the world, but he's obviously a seasoned running back, a smart runner, a tough runner, very hard to get down. Great contact balance. I like Jarrett Patterson. He'll, he'll be selected on day two. I'd imagine, uh, out of, out of the University of Buffalo, out of the Mac, baby. And then uh, rounding out the top five for me is Trey Sermon with Ohio State. Six foot, 215 pounds, fits the profile athletically, and you can't ignore what he did. I mean, he had a, like, Zeke Elliott-type run at the end of this season f- for the Buckeyes. Transferred out of Oklahoma. He's a big-time player. Uh, I think that he'll be he'll be a day-two pick. And a guy that that is, like, he's Kareem Hunt-like in terms of, I feel like, the value he can bring, like, you don't have to spend a very high pick on him and you could throw him into the backfield and start him and give him 20 carries week one this fall in September. I think he'd, he'd be fine. Uh, so I, I really like, I really like Trey Sermon. Sorry. Out of I, State. Jarrett Patterson. I discounted him a little bit. He had eight touchdowns against Kent state this year, eight touchdowns against Kent state. Go, go back and tell so, just for the listeners read off like his touchdown stats. Do you have his game log pulled up right there? So I'm gonna go through just go through his, his career his, stats. Yeah, go from, through his go through his like just give me a couple highlights of his of his career stats with his rushing totals and his touchdowns. So in 2018, he had 1,013 yards, 14 touchdowns. 2019, he had 1,800 yards, 19 touchdowns. 2020, he had 1,072 yards, 19 touchdowns. And keep in mind, I think Buffalo probably played like six games. Because yeah, of, he only had 141 attempts this past year. So I mean, but I he mean, still he averaged 7.6 yards per carry, which is unbelievable, it's ridiculous, right? Like, I and again, he's not going to do that in the NFL. He's not a first round talent, I don't believe, in terms of like his athletic profile. But this is a guy 
I mean, I think I'm a little higher on him than some others are. He's definitely on some people's radar just because of the video game numbers he put up. But he's I truly think he's a top five back in, in this draft. Like, I would take him over a lot of the other guys. Like Michael Carter Jr., the the second back out of North Carolina, I'd take him over Larry Roundtree out of Mizzou. I would take him at, over Chuba Hubbard uh, from Oklahoma State who also put up video game numbers. So, like, I, I think that Jarrett Patterson is – it has a chance to be like one of those guys like, oh yeah, like just small school guy, like guy went to Buffalo and he's going to have a 10-year NFL career. He's got good size too. He's 5'9", 195. I wouldn't so, mind if the Bills were able to take him as some So depth. there you go. There, there, there's your draft nugget, uh, Zach's weekly yeah. knowledge drop on you. You found out something you didn't learn before. And like I said, Tyler, I meant to, I meant to brag at the top of the show. Did we not talk about Mac Jones to the 49ers on the show last week, last Monday before it was widely reported on? You did, and we also said, because we had recorded on Monday last week, but the show didn't release till Thursday, we had said, hey, the NFL is going to release officially 17-game schedule, which they did on Tuesday, of course. Yeah, so I mean, guys, this stuff is free. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know why it is, but it's free. So uh, t- 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 tell your friends. Tell, tell them to listen, <laughs> listen in. Um, let's move on to the, to the wide receivers as we get off of our pedestal here. Um, Jamar Chase to me is like the obvious number one. I comped him yeah. to Anquan Bolden. He's so physical and just he's a freak of nature. Devontae Smith comped him to Marvin Harrison. That's a popular comp, and I like it. So I went with it. Uh out, out of Alabama. I stole that one, I think, from like Kuiper or somebody. But that it fits. Like he's six foot one, but he is like a buck seventy-five. So guy's fast. Uh, but but I like Devontae Smith. I don't think you can argue with the production. He he's a first round player and He's really close with Jalen Waddle to me. I actually had Waddle above Smith earlier on, but what vaulted Smith over him to me, like when push came to shove, was yeah, you can you can you know complain about the injury stuff, but Jalen Waddle's five ten, and here's the facts: Devontae Smith didn't get injured, and Jalen Waddle did this year. So like while he is 6'1", 175, I think he plays pretty smart, avoids hits, and he you, you got to catch him to hit him. So uh, Devontae Smith, I really like him. Then, and then as I mentioned, Jalen Waddle 3, he's going to work primarily out of the slot, but I don't think he necessarily has to. He is certainly explosive enough to, to play outside. 5'10", 182, I comped him to Santana Moss. Uh, I think he's going to have a really nice NFL career. He he's like Debo Samuelish. Also, uh, I think you could give him the ball in the backfield, and he could do some different things. I'm really high on Rondale Moore out of Purdue. He's only five foot nine, buck eighty. I comped him to Steve Smith. I think that he's just such a special athlete, Tolly. I don't know how much Purdue games you got to watch or how much you know right. about Rondale Moore, <laughs> but uh, he, he's just a really special athlete. Like, I, I he's another guy that I I discovered in 2019 that I've just been waiting for him to turn pro because he's just such a beast. And then uh, I'm kind of undecided on R- Rashad Bateman or Kadarius Tony at that five spot. They're, they're basically the same grade for me. Uh, they're, they're back end first round guys. I think maybe borderline too. I, I wouldn't be surprised if like Kadarius Tony or Rashad Bateman, like after the end of the first round, if you're like, okay, well like that's the uh, T Higgins of this draft. Like they're going to get talked about a lot he- heading into uh, that second day. So let's go down to tight ends now. Tight end is very bad this year with the exception of one player. Yeah. Well, two, really. Kyle Pitts is is the best prospect in the draft, in my opinion. Uh comped him to Darren Waller. He's six foot six, two hundred and forty pounds. Ty, I think he's I think he's maybe the best tight end prospect ever. That dude ran a four four. I'm not trying to like be a prisoner of the moment. No. I'm really not. And, and I, I always try to actually err on the side of like caution. 
I totally like I, I think he's the best tight end prospect ever. So I was watched. I, I saw mean, Gronk, Gronk was taken in like the second or third round. He wasn't the yeah. best tight end prospect ever. Well, part of Gronk's issue was he had the back injuries that kind of made him fall a little that's bit. What, that's what I mean, though. Like, so, like, I'm not saying Kyle Pitts is going to be as good of a player as Gronk. I'm not yeah. saying he's going to be the best tight end ever, but uh, I think he he's the be. most, I think he's the best prospect we've ever seen at the position. I saw a video today of him lined up one on one against like the guys who are the top corners in the draft this year. And they couldn't do anything against him. I was watching some video. It was um, Tim Tebow doing a detail on ESPN Plus of Kyle Trask. And it was the SEC championship game against Alabama. And Alabama was trying to double and triple pits. And Trask was still getting him the ball. Like they could, Alabama could not do anything to stop that guy. It was unreal. He is, I mean, you can't think of him as a tight end. And I, and I think the NFL agrees with me for what it's worth. He's going top five, yeah. top 10 for sure. He's going to go like five or six. Yeah. And because let's say he, you, you exclusively played him as like an X receiver. He's still like the second or third best wide receiver in the draft. Like behind Jamar Chase, I think that might be it. He might yeah. be better than Devontae Smith. I'll have to see how it shakes out when I like grade them and put all the positions together. But yeah, Kyle Pitts is unreal. And then Pat Fryermuth, I think because of how good Kyle Pitts is, is getting slept on a little bit. Uh, I comped him to Hunter Henry. He's out of, out of Penn State. He started with them for a long time, and he was, I think, their primary pass catcher this year as they've graduated some guys. But he, I think, is going to be a solid player. He, I like, he, he comps similarly to like Cole Komet too, like at Notre Dame, like similar mm -hmm. style offense. He can block, he can pass catch, he can do a little bit of everything. I think his value is probably similar too. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes just because of how bad the tight ends are and how thin it is. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes a little higher than Cole Komet did, who I think Cole Komet went, what do you go, second or third round? He went day two for sure. I can't remember if it was second or, or third round for the, to the Bears, but that'll be, I think, where Pat uh, Fryermuth's range is. After that, to be honest, I don't got a whole lot for you. <laughs> Brevin Jordan out of Miami, I think, is intriguing. You got Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame, who he, he's like a Josiah DeGuara type or like a Kyle Juszczyk type. You could put him in the backfield, like do some H-back stuff with him. I could see a guy like Kyle Shanahan or somebody that wants to run uh, a fullback in the offense liking Tommy Tremble. You can use him as like your second tight end. You can use him in the backfield. You can do some different things with Tommy Tremble. Um, and then Hunter Long out of Boston College. He was a guy that, uh, it, when Boston College almost upset Clemson, was on was on the TV a lot, you know. So yeah. like I I ultimately don't think he's a great, a super great athlete. I think he'll he'll be okay in the NFL, but he's like late day two pick, maybe like day three. Uh, let's get to the lineman. Panay Sewell. This is just tackles. I got Sewell, uh, Rayshon Slater. I actually got Jalen Mayfield right after that. Christian Darrisaw out of Virginia Tech. Then Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State. All five will be absolutely grabbed in the first round. Um, I, I like Panay Sewell over Slater. I know some people, some of the analysts have it different. Sewell was, again, I just don't think, like, don't overthink it, Tali. Like that, I think teams yeah. get too cute and they overthink it. Well, Slater has higher upside. Well, Panay Sewell has been like the number one tackle for like two years now. Just take <laughs> Panay Sewell. So uh, uh, unless you see something glaring, uh, but but I like those guys. Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. Michigan, the one thing they have been consistent about is they've produced some really good offensive linemen. Darisaw out of Virginia Tech's really good, and Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State's really good also. Um, on the inside, there's a couple guys that I think are going to go in the first round. Landon, Landon Dickerson out of Alabama I have rated top. He's the best center. 
then you have Elijah Vera Tucker, who's like a guard tackle kind of thing, but I think he'll end up being guard probably. Uh, they said that about Tristan Wirfs last year too, and obviously he played yeah. tackle the whole year. But uh, I think that was a little bit different. Like Wirfs was just a way better player uh, than Elijah Vera Tucker is. And uh, I think you could get more out of Vera Tucker on the inside. So he he's probably the second best uh, interior offensive lineman for me. I actually do like uh, Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State uh, on the interior uh, offensive line. Um, and then I kind of like Trey Smith out of Kentucky. Uh, I like Drake Jackson and like Creed Humphrey. They're all like right in there for me. Uh, and I don't, st- I, I'll, I'll admit, I don't focus on the interior offensive line too much outside of the top guys. Like I've only kind of watched them a little bit. I don't spend as much time on them as I do others. So, but, but I definitely think there's a big gap between Leonard Dickerson, Elijah Vera Tucker, and then the rest. So let's move on to defense. We'll try not to get too bogged down here yeah. off the edge. Tally. I got Quiddy pay out of Michigan. I think he's the best guy edge rusher. It's down for edge rusher this year. Quiddy pay out of Michigan. I do think is the best. He's a first round player. Uh, he, he's a good player was used incorrectly at Michigan. If you can believe it, <laughs> they were using him wrong. So, uh, I think he's going to be a better pro than he was a college player. And I, I th- actually think he's a little bit be- better than the Miami guys or Aziz Ojalari from Georgia. I just think he's a little bit better, better player than those guys. I do have Jalen Phillips out of Miami after that. A lot of people have Jalen Phillips top. Uh, I comped him to Whitney Merciless, 6'5, 266. He, he's a good player. Did play this year. Whereas Gregory Rousseau, the other guy out of Miami who was third on my list, opted out. We haven't seen him play since 2019. Um, I like Jason Away out of uh, Penn State. He's my fourth edge rusher. And then Aziz Ojolari from uh, Georgia is is my fifth guy. Comped Ojolari to Yannick Ngakwe. I do like Joe Tryon, too. I'll just mention him. He's sixth on my list, but like that's subject to change. I think that there's a gap between the top four guys like I think Quiddy Pay, Phillips, Rosso, and Oway are all pretty close together, and I think Ojolari and Tryon, like they're neck and neck for me. Um, not too much different there. On the interior, it's not as good. I mean, you got like two or three guys. Uh, C- Christian Barmore out of Alabama is the clear number one. Levi on Wuzurike out of Washington is also really good. Um, Washington is like sneaky producing a shitload of defensive linemen. If you look back at, at Vita Vea, now they got Joe Tryon this year. And this uh, Levi on Musarike guy, they have quietly produced some NFL level defensive linemen. I like the Salim McNeil out of uh, NC State. He's a good player. And then uh, right there together for me, Davion Nixon and Marvin Wilson out of Iowa and Florida State, respectively. I really like Marvin Wilson. I, I guess he's got maybe some personality concerns. I, I thought he was a, a good player on a bad team. Uh, I think a lot of you can you can make the, the case can be made for like basically all those Florida State kids. They're yeah. they're good athletes and highly recruited players that just end up on shitty teams. Do you see the news about Florida State player today? No, what happened? So you remember there was that story of the Florida State player that sat at the lunch table with a kid in middle school because he was all by himself. No, this was it happened a couple going. years ago. <laughs> well, anyway, that guy got charged with first degree murder today. Great. Do you remember yeah. who it was? Hopefully not Marvin Wilson. No. Is, this, is it a draft prospect? Uh, I don't think anymore. He was well, now you got to look it up as, I'm, as I'm going through this. Oh, he was I'll a wide receiver. It. Yeah. It was it to Marion Terry. It's loading. Uh, Travis <laughs> Rudolph. Travis. Yeah, I've never heard of him. Well, yeah. eh, 
That's kind of a bummer. Well, th- again, thank you. Thank you for that, Tali. I feel like a lot of times on this podcast, you just really bring down the mood and just end <laughs> us on such a negative. Sorry. It was just, you know, fun little factoid that happened. Everyone thought he was this nice guy. And then fun fact, you like- know, this Florida State guy that everybody loves. Yeah. Well, well it turns out he turns murdered out. somebody. Yeah. Thanks a lot for that, Tali. We all needed that in our day. It's not rainy or cloudy enough outside in St. Louis. You just had to drop that one on us. Do you want to talk more about how we all thought Deshaun Watson was a really good guy, and it turns out he's probably a scumbag? Yeah, he lost some sponsorship deals today. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to linebacker before Tali tells me about any more mass murderers in college football. Uh, Micah Parsons, to me, is the the best linebacker in the draft bar none. He's unreal, dude. Like, I... I don't know if you saw him run the 40 at his pro day. He's an unreal athlete. 6'3", 240. Uh, he's just clearly the best linebacker in the draft. He yeah. seems to be slipping down like a lot of the mock drafts I see. He was like a locked top 10 pick for a while, and now everybody's obsessed with the offense and the skill guys, and he's like slipped down into those teens. Uh, I think that's a total steal. Like, like, Roquan if he Smith, starts I think, slipping. went eight overall. Now, different draft, but like he's way better than Roquan Smith. If he starts slipping past that top 10 i wouldn't be surprised if someone tries to trade up like right there to take him like i don't think he'll slip too much too much lower than 10 i can't imagine it and i think linebacker what we're talking about value i think that's one of the more polarizing positions in terms of how league offices view that position the packers don't give a shit about it neither do the eagles i don't think the eagles have taken a first round linebacker in like 30 years or something like that I personally think the linebacker in today's NFL is so important with these running backs that catch the football. Now you have these tight ends that are more involved in the passing offense than ever before. And a lot of offenses like to throw to the tight end and you need these linebackers that sift sideline to sideline to keep up with these zone running schemes. So I think that having a really good linebacker, is more important now than probably ever before. You're drafting a different type of linebacker. You're not drafting the stack and shed, the blocks linebacker. You're not drafting the 6'4", six, 6'5", six, guy that puts his puts a hat on a hat and crushes yeah. guards and fullbacks. Like, I want the guy that runs that is an athlete, but they're still important, and I'd argue they're more important. Uh, the next the next best guy to me is Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. There's a, there's a uh, mouthful for you, Tali. He's out of Notre Dame. Uh, you can call him Jock J O K. Yeah. Uh, he's really good. He's like a, he's like a hybrid linebacker. Like you could honestly play him as like a safety or a fifth DB. He he's really athletic coverage guy. I mean, kind of what we've seen out of the linebacker position the last couple of years. Zaven Collins out of Tulsa is third on my list, and I think that he has a chance. Now I put him behind Jeremiah Wusukormo and Parsons because I just don't think he's as pure of a prospect. But this kid out of out of, out of Tulsa reminds me of Brian Urlacher. He's six four. He's two hundred and sixty pounds, and he runs like the wind. Uh, Big boy. So I, I think he, yeah. So imagine like six four, but with every bit of the athleticism to cover guys as these dudes that are like six foot one. So I, I'm really impressed with with Zayvon Collins. Kind of hope he slips to the Packers. Um, then we got some Mizzou love, man. I got I got Nick Bolton out of Mizzou, six foot two thirty two. Really good player. You knew he was going to be a first rounder. Uh, you know. Well, actually, it feels like he's not going to be a first-rounder anymore. I haven't seen him. He's really slipped down. But he was a name to watch in the fall. I mean, we knew he was a big-time prospect, and he delivered. I'm a little bit down on him just from the perspective of I just don't know how well – Like, I I feel like he doesn't see stuff very fast, uh, at least when I watch him. It feels like he's – 
he's like a, a half second too late, or he's making the tackle a couple yards farther downfield than you'd like. But he he's still a very good prospect. Profile is good athletically. I think he'll be able to he'll be able to cover guys in space. He can drop back in zone. He, he's a good player. I, I would take him on the Packers any day of the week. Then then Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. He is a, a riser, dude. Nobody cared about him in the fall, and I've seen him. He's vaulted Nick Bolton, I think, on a lot of people's boards. He's vaulted Zayvon Collins on a lot of people's boards. He's like second or third best linebacker, according to some, in the draft. Now, I think he's really good. Uh, don't know yet if I'm going to vault him over those guys. Maybe Nick Bolton. He's not going over Collins to me. But uh, Jamin Davis is, is a name to watch. He has been a riser, plays really hard, uh, tough-nosed, has like the the same qualities in terms of like albeit to a lesser degree of like he plays kind of like Micah Parsons does. Uh, he's just everywhere. He made a ton of complete ton of plays for uh, Kentucky. So let's get to the secondary now at corner. I, I think Patrick Sertan has passed Caleb Farleywick with his back issue. I think Patrick Sertan. They're both the same size. I mean, Patrick Sertan, 6'2", 210. Caleb Farley, 6'2", 207. I actually had Farley above Sertan earlier in the process, but. You know, just the more I watch, the more I go. I just think Sertan is is the more solid player. Uh, Caleb Farley, especially with the back issue, he's only been playing the corner position for two years too. I believe he was recruited to Virginia Tech as a quarterback, so he he's a, he's a defensive convert. So he has not played the position very long, and so I think because of that, he he has good instincts and he has he picked it up pretty quickly. Obviously, he was kicking ass at Virginia Tech, yeah. but. I think he's like a, I think he's a bigger bigger risk than Patrick Sertan is. He had a dad that played in the NFL. He's got solid bloodline, solid athleticism. They're the same thing, like a, athletically. He's basically like a, a poor man's Jalen Ramsey coming into this draft. I mean, he's just it, it's a solid double. Like I don't think you can miss on Patrick Sertan. Whereas I think Farley is a little bit riskier of a pick. So I would take I would take Sertan over Farley. Uh, after that, J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. I love evaluating the corners, Holly. It's like my favorite thing to do every spring. And J.C. Horn is awesome. Again, NFL bloodlines. His dad was a uh, cell phone cell phone Horn man for the New Orleans Saints uh, in the uh, in uh, holy shit. I'm blanking on the dome, the Mercedes Benz Superdome. Yep, that's what it is. Uh, he, that that that's his kid. So uh, J.C. Horn is. Really tough man to man. Um, I I saw a couple of clips of him guarding Kyle Pitts, and he like attacked him. So uh, no fear against big guys. You need to play with no fear if you're a corner. You cannot play scared. Instincts at the corner position are bigger than anything else. They're bigger than your size. They're bigger than your speed. If you can play man coverage and find the ball, like you're gonna be okay. I think Jair Alexander is a perfect example of that. He was like profiled as some like slot corner co- coming out. And the Packers said, "Fuck that! We're we're taking him in the first. We're gonna we're gonna put him on the outside, and he's gonna be our best corner." And that's basically what's happened. I think J.C. Horn's a lot like that. He's like five eleven, six foot, depending on who you ask. So he's like at that borderline. But I think he's gonna be a stud NFL player. I think he's gonna be a really good one. Um, Asante Samuel Jr., another guy with NFL bloodlines out of Florida State. Now he's only five ten, one eighty four, and I did see some clips of him getting torched watching uh, other wide receivers, actually. Like, I watched Kadarius Tony absolutely burn him on a slant. Like, it, it was not pretty. He didn't catch up to make the tackle. It was not a great look. So, eh, maybe you take him in the first round. Maybe you don't. Uh, I, I think I'd be more comfortable taking him in the second round. But Asante Samuel Jr., good player. 
again, probably like to rather start him on the inside than the outside. He is only five foot ten. So uh so there's that. Greg Newsom, the second out of Northwestern, is my fifth corner. Uh, he, he will be listed above Asante Samuel Jr. on a lot of people's boards. He is like Jamin Davis of Kentucky. The guy's just shooting up every, everybody's list. Uh, very effective on a Northwestern defense that has been very good for a pretty long time. And they're, they're producing some pros now. So uh, Greg Newsom, the second. G- good, good player. Again, I don't know if I'd take him in the first. I don't know. I guess I wouldn't be mad if somebody selected him in the first, but probably not what I do. Uh, so, so there's that. And then to the safeties and we'll get you guys out of here. Trevon Morig. He's the only first rounder I would take out of the safeties. He he's another guy, Tolly. He's like a double. It's like, he's just going to be a solid player. There's no way he doesn't. I don't know if he's like a lot. He's not like a lock hall of fame or anything like that. He's not as can't miss as Jamal Adams was when he came out of LSU, but at a TCU, Trevon Morig, six, two, two Oh two, Runs like the wind. He uh, He's just a solid player. He's going to play safety for 10 years plus in the NFL, assuming he can you know keep it together off the field and not get injured. Javon Holland out of Oregon is second for me. Then I got Richie Grant out of UCF. Uh, day two picks. Our Darius Washington, another safety out of TCU, if you can believe it. Uh, TCU is kind of like, the, like the, uh, the Utah out of this year's draft. You know, Utah had Julian Blackman and uh, Jalen Johnson coming out last year. Um, and TCU has Trayvon Morgan or Darius Washington. So, uh, I also like ham Nasiral Dean out of Florida state and divine Diablo. A couple of really fun names yeah. there. Uh, at, at, I like Diablo out of Virginia tech. I, I, I don't know how he profiles really to the league. All I know is like, I did a couple games of Virginia tech for, uh, for PFF and that guy stonewalled people. He was everywhere and he was a problem on defense. So I do, I do like Diablo from the safety position and that'll wrap it up top five in every position group. How we do tally. We are over an hour. I think we are over an hour, but you did great. All righty. That's a mouthful. Hopefully you guys got a lot of information. Thank you so much for making us a part of your week and listening as always. And we'll see you next week on the midweek review.